Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Patrick Corain, where we will be continuing our division preview series with the AFC East. We will be joined by NBC Sports Boston's Tom Curran to discuss the Patriots and the Athletics' Joe Biscalia to talk about the Bills. Crane and I will then dive into the Jets and Dolphins. But first, it is our distinct pleasure to welcome in an institution of the Patriots beat, Tom Curran. And Tom, are we allowed to call you a coworker? Are you are you allowed to say you're coworkers with fantasy nerds, or should we yeah, not? Yeah, no, ever we're all under the way? umbrella. We're all under the umbrella. Like we worked with Johnny Miller. We all worked with Johnny Miller, right? When he was at, uh, covering the golf. So that's true. Johnny that's Miller true. wouldn't know if he tripped over us. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all under the golf channels. Yeah, we work with uh, the people on SNL too. They're colleagues. Yeah, yeah, I work NBC. with Al Roker. Yeah, I work with Colin Jost. Uh, you know, we're long time with Keenan Mitchell, long time co-workers with him. Um, right. So, yeah, I just didn't I didn't want to. Look at the Irish mafia descending on the listeners today, too. Huh? That's true. I know. What, what's the deal? Uh, yeah, there's a, and all just this Tom. Tom is definitely an Irish first name. Well, not only we not only have last names, we also have the first names. Um, so like, right. Noah yeah, I appreciate Tom's last name. Current is how people say my last name. Corain. So it's it's nice to actually have a current on it. I get a few Karains. Tom Karan. Oh, Karan, very popular. I think I wanted to say Karan for a long time until someone told me no, it's Kern. And then I was just con- like, uh, again, I didn't. Since as a fantasy guy, I never want to like upset a real football guy. So that's why before the show, oh, we like, stop. Right? <laughs> that's, that's one of the interesting things about the confluence of fantasy and um, beat reporters, which I would never call like real journalists is the field in the period of time if i can drone for a second you can has been so leveled in terms of what we need to provide as writers who are covering the beat because i would do analysis previously when i started in 97 on the beat you know i go through the stats and come up with okay they got this third down tendency and this is happening and you know the older writers weren't doing that you know who were at the globe and the herald they weren't parsing through all the game books and we no. weren't using the internet in 97. You, we weren't going to NFL Jesus. So I was ahead of the curve. But now your general 11 and 12-year-old has so much in his fingertips that you as a 54-year-old writer 
better bring something, whether it be an institutional knowledge, whether it be historical perspective, whether it be access because you have an opportunity to talk to players, owners, coaches, agents, whoever. It's, it's competitive because you guys are as well as, or because you devote more time to it, more attuned to trends that we then have to catch up to. And we oftentimes spend too much time debunking said trends when in actuality. I was going to say, that's why I thought, you know, uh, we, we like to seize on your every last word or observation. Well, you guys do get pissed at us with, with things. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just a story, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. You, you say you feel that as a 54-year-old. I feel that already as a 35-year-old. I'm like, God, these 23-year-olds, how do they? I didn't know. At 23, I just thought it was good to have more points than the other team. And yeah. yeah, now that you're talking about like you know, we do like zone versus man coverage splits now in fantasy, I'm like, how do you even know that? Like, where do you even find that? And like, I'm we scared. get concepts. It's just we didn't have the numbers at our fingertips, right? It's so yeah. now having the numbers at your fingertips, and I, I, I like to, you know, contend. For instance, one thing that drives me back crap with analytics is fourth down decision making, and there's a guy Aaron Shots from Football Outsiders who devotes a lot of time to it. And they'll have, render these decisions. And we, I can't remember who it was from NBC2 that we've had on and had great discussions. But so many things enter into fourth down decisions beyond, oh, they got a chance to pick it up. They didn't go for it. Bad decision. Well, how ass has your defense been playing or how well has it been playing? That enters into it. Who's hurt? Who isn't? Where's your matchup with your go-to guy who is your, your chain mover? So that's why we should be able to add the nuance and have a nice, healthy conversation. I totally – that was something I really thought happened in week 18 in that Raiders-Chargers game where, you know, Brandon Staley's yeah. like – he's like our one true analytics god. And he kept going for it on fourth down against the Raiders in that game. And in my head, I'm like, Brandon, the other team is having so much trouble moving the ball. They're bringing in Marcus Mariota for, like, gimmick plays. Like, maybe just relax for, like, two seconds. Trust your defense. And, like, of course, they didn't convert either of them. Right. And like uh, they were really letting down the analytics people were, they were so happy all year. But then we're like, we kept getting let down because he just kept failing. Well, then he talks moments. about this, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> make, can, can the correct analytics decision once please work? Just ever. work once. Just work once. <laughs> so, but, but sometimes, like, here was a great analytics. Dis- Am I killing this whole interview by? No, 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 not at all. Remember a couple of years ago, it was a Monday night game. And the not, the Vikings were playing the Seahawks, and the Vikings tried to score a touchdown from like the six instead of trying the field goal. And I can't remember if they failed, but Wilson just went plowing down the field. And it must maybe it was a Sunday night game because I think it was Chris Collins was saying, "Well, the analytics say you go for that ninety times out of ninety nine. But it was in that period of time when Russell Wilson was completely unstoppable from everywhere on the field. And I'm like, it's not a conventional player. That's why the fourth and two decision of Belichick back in 2009 that kind of really propelled this. That was, was the beginning. So, because, okay, well, why did he punt? Have you seen what happened for the last 20 minutes? Every time <laughs> Peyton Manning even looks at the ball, they score six. So that's why it's it, the nuance of it. Yeah, that that really was. The, that was a Sunday night game too, I believe. NBC, yeah, was a great game. We're the we're the network of of magic. Bill Belichick, Tom said in the opening days of camp that he had seen quote unquote dramatic improvement in Mac Jones this summer. But now here's how we seize on every little thing. Your colleague Mike Reese passed along an observation over the weekend, just an observation too, that the number of quote unquote no chance plays and the lack of consistency 
had been notable with the Patriots offense this summer. Just kind of what are you seeing with, with your own eyes with Mac Jones? Like either one of those extremes and between those two extremes, just what are you seeing with Mac Jones so far this summer? Uh, I think the improvement is dramatic. I think that also the off the change of offense is dramatic. So as a result, you have, and it, I hesitate to call him a thoroughbred, but I will get the lack of a better synonym. You got a thoroughbred walking around in a corral who can't, amp up his offense because the Patriots are in the midst of switching their offense from the option-based um, Earhart, Perkins, Weiss, McDaniels, Brady offense that was very complicated but very successful to running a little bit more of the Shanahan-McVay principles because they're easier to teach, easier to execute, better for college players coming out to understand but this transition to that is depriving Mac Jones of building on 2021 and making him have to revert back to building in, an, in another offense. Mind you, too, to use an analogy, the offense, if it were science, is being taught by history teachers in Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. They're good history teachers. They know their way around the blackboard. I would sign up for their AP class. But they're not that great at the science yet. So this has been that's – why, that's why there's some no-chance plays. No chance as a result of offensive line mistakes. No chance as a result of guys not getting open. No chance as a result of Max in – I don't think that's there. So it's not Mac Jones. It's the transition. We, we talked about – analytics uh and one of the things that popped for me last year was completion percentage over expected which is kind of a, a analytics accuracy measure mac jones was terrific in that metric um and you know the accuracy i think is as promised with him i've been excited about the potential of him taking a, a step forward in his second year but like i was already concerned about the offensive coaching to hear that they're changing the offense so dramatically installing this mm -hmm. new offense not like like who who is the expert on these Shanahan principles on the Patriots right now? Bill Belichick. And that really dates back to, and I wrote a long, like 1300 word story on this last week. This isn't the Shanahan offense of Kyle Shanahan. It's the Shanahan offense of Mike Shanahan, which obviously filters through everything that, that we've come to see, which is stretch running plays to bootleg off of that to guys dragging at different levels across the field to oversimplify the whole thing. But the premise is the stretch play, which the Patriots did not have success at. They were a straight ahead running team and had great success at that behind a fullback. They took their fullback out of the offense. Belichick believes and always has believed that the Shanahan offense was extremely difficult to contend with because there were so few plays, but and they all looked alike, but they could really mess with you. And that's really what Peyton Manning was running too, to a large extent. The same kind of stretch stuff with Edger and James, boot off it, pull up and throw. And that's on first and second down. Third down, you, you're basically throwing. But, you know, third and eight, you're, you're dropping back. You're not faking anybody out too much. But, you know, Belichick wants to make it simpler for his coaches, simpler for his players. And this is me theorizing. He hasn't said that specifically. But to listen to the way the players talk about it and just look at the obvious threads through this, the Patriots have over the years had a tiny little – pool of wide receivers and players that they could bring into their offense because it was so hard to understand. 
and master because so much of it was based on telepathy with Tom Brady that I think Belichick's like, well, you know why I suck at bringing in wide receivers? This offense is so hard. These idiots can't figure it out. So can I get another offense that all these other guys can walk in and start playing like, and I use idiots in a, a joking way. Not yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, he's looking at these, and he spends so much time every year talking about how primitive the college passing game is, how it's nothing like the pro passing game. And I think over the years he said, you know what, these kids have no idea what to do when they get to our offense, and i got to find a way to figure out how to make it easier. If you look at the guys who have always succeeded in the Patriots offense as newcomers, they're traded for or signed as free agents, so they already had NFL experience. That's really interesting. Yeah, so that's just like a very tried and true trope of 21st century NFL football. Just how many receivers, especially like you said, young receivers come in and just totally flopped in that extremely complex offense and which has helped kind of contribute to like the sense amongst fantasy players. I feel like that the Patriots are impossible to forecast because like we never know who's going to succeed in this offense. We never know who Bill is really going to trust. So who does it look like the top target is in the Patriots system is this year? Cause we just kind of feel like we're all guessing. We know Jacoby yeah. Myers is a target hog. We know Devonte Parker is brought in to be the outside guy. We know Kendrick Bourne is kind of like it's a hor- horrible internet meme right now. He's, he's the guy who's got that dog in him. Like he's a really <laughs> tough chain. I know. Sorry, Tom, really <laughs> no, tough I just game mover, touchdown score. And like, who, who is the top target in this? I would Patriots put all my chips. Today? I would put all my chips on Kendrick Bourne. All of them. Wow. Guy caught 55 of the 70 passes he was throwing last year as a wide receiver. He ran for a buck 25 on uh, 10 carries. He also, Mac, I think had a 126 quarterback rating when thrown to him. And I do believe in quarterback ratings. Screw everybody else with their bullshit. Uh, I think quarterback rating usually matches up. The good ones have high ones. The mediocre ones have mediocre. They tend to. <laughs> uh, so... Some of them scam it now, by the way, though. I'm like, Kirk Cousins, oh, yeah, man, I don't do. know. I mean, they do, but just you're going to be a point or two. If, if somebody's over 110, they're, they're a good player. Um, but he is, to me, and I said this recently, and I got booed off the air. Well, believe me, we were going to bring this up. Uh, okay. I what you are going to mention. <laughs> I want you to do it. Go ahead. I was going to say, you made some waves when you predicted a Debo Samuel type year for Mr. Kendrick Bourne. And, like, I do see the similarity. I Kendrick Bourne... I thought it was a really underrated player before he signed with the page. I just think the word that comes to mind for me for Kendrick Bourne is like rugged. And like the kind of guy, I mean, it's, again, yeah, it's a cliche, the kind of guy you could trust to make like big mm-hmm. plays, to like get a first down, to make a really tough catch in the Reds. And, you know, I don't think people really realize he had over 800 yards last year. Right. And, like he, he had a better year than people. Re- and so the, that my eyes definitely popped when I saw your comment, especially coming from you. Cause I've never found you to be prone to hyperbole or anything like that. You, I've always, you know, you're like a straight shooter. So I, was like, wow. I like to get the dark horse though. I like to get it out there early. You know, I peed on my territory with Kendrick Bourne. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's all upside if he comes in and plays great. Um, but it was really fed by the notion of they're going to switch to more of a San Francisco 49ers style mm-hmm. offense. So if they're doing that, who is their Debo? And that would be Kendrick Bourne. Now Debo Samuel is a running back. He is much more stockily built than Kendrick Bourne. He can take more punishment, can probably give out more punishment just because of his build. So when I said like Debo, I, and again, I didn't state this because it was a TV hit, but they didn't have all the time in the world. He's going to fill that role where he's going to be the jet sweep guy. Um, 
he's going to be your catch and run guy. He is by far their best catch and run guy. Jacoby Myers is, runs about a four six, and God bless him, he is phenomenal against zone, but he gets no separation. That's why Pat Corain, when you talked about um, completion percentage over expected, the reason it's so high is nobody gets open. No, the the Patriots don't have one single wide receiver who makes a defensive coordinator go, oh, we're we going to do with this guy. As a group, they can make you sweat. They can make you sweat with a scheme, but they don't have any separators. And that's why Tyquan Thornton, who has actually been capable, is worth um, keeping on a short list of guys you might want to pick up if he does start getting enough reps. Well, so to the Bourne stuff, is he out there all the time? Because that's – and I guess is anyone out there all the time? Um, because, you know, last year you had Jacoby Myers. He ran a route on 92% of dropbacks in, in games that he was in. And – you know, that, that's a full-time, you know, complete uh, package in terms of just being out there running all the routes. If Kendrick Bourne is going to see a big increase from where he was at last year, which was which was only 70%, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a, a more of a part-time player who is a big part of the offense still, does that come at the expense of Myers? Does it come at the expense of Devontae Parker not having a full-time role? Like, there's only so many routes. You're so right. So who, who's out there the most this year? regardless of the targets, who's actually just running the route. I think it's a great, it's a great question. It's impossible to pin down. I think the Patriots would love to upgrade the speed and explosiveness at their slot position, which is filled by Jacoby Myers. So I would say some of the targets are going to come away from Jacoby Myers, who's mm-hmm. not going to be a guy who's going to be a 15 yards per catch guy. Johnny Smith is also going to steal some, some targets because they really want to take advantage of it. Robert Kraft basically said and stated in the off season, Really want to see some jumps from the guys that we signed as free agents last year. The reason they have fifteen million dollar cap hits. Say the, they end up with twenty two catches and fifty one targets. Kraft's going to go. What do we do? Why do we spend thirty million dollars in cap money on these two if we didn't give them the ball? So I think that does enter into it. So they'll come away from Myers, but I would say the Bourne would be a, a a good number two in fantasy. And I think John Smith could be interesting, but Hunter Henry would be a more consistent buy than John Smith because he's going to catch 55 to 60 balls and he's going to score eight touchdowns. Do you think Myers is, you know, particularly hurt by this change because he seemed like he was thriving in this complex offense? I think that I don't, you mean emotionally, does it hurt his feelings? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, yeah, I mean, probably. Yeah, he probably says, what else do I have to do? Look at, his, look at his touchdown numbers. That tells you how explosive he is. Yeah. I just mean in terms of the offensive fit. Like, is he kind of losing an advantage over his competition? He's always going to have a significant advantage in his dependability, but they're always going to look to replace him. You know what I mean? It's going to be like yeah, yeah. anything that you own that you know is consistent, but, boy, I could upgrade that thing. But it works so good. That's what Jacoby Myers is. And so I, it would be tough to see him go elsewhere for the Patriots, but at the end of this year, he's a free agent, and he'll be a guy who caught a bunch of passes. It'll be interesting to see if anybody in the NFL says, boy, we want to have that guy who can catch 80 balls come here, or they say, he's catching 80 balls because he plays a slot in the Patriots offense. Yeah. It's really inter- in- interesting that you mentioned Tyquan Thornton because, like you said, is like someone I've been doing this for a while now, like – I would have never even really considered drafting like a second round receiver in a pa- the Patriots office. Cause I would just take it for granted that they wouldn't make a rookie impacts that it'd just be over their head. You know, Bill wouldn't trust them, but I mean, if things are getting simpler, I mean, who do you see 
making more noise on the outside this year, the rookie or the the trade addition, Devontae Parker? I think they're going to have such drastically different roles. Parker is basically what Nikhil Harry was supposed to be, same build, same uh, athletic ability in terms of being able to high point the ball. Just plays harder than Harry did, though. He'll use his body and box people out, whereas Harry would put his body there and then get run through. Um, Thornton is just an absolute elk. It's just ridiculous (laughs) to watch the way he accelerates with, with minimal effort. And as a wide receiver, there's all, you know, we know how eccentric wide receivers can be. This is a polished, professional, mature, taking my business seriously wide receiver. So he's got upside, but I I think that Parker would be more of, you're exactly right, Dr. Corain. The targets are going to come from somebody. Even if you throw the ball 40 times a game, there's not enough. Yeah, it's weird because, like you said, five or six of them. That's like the conundrum of the Patriots' offense. Because, like you said, there's no individual player who like will scare an opposing defensive coordinator. But it's a very deep group, so that makes it very, very hard in fantasy. To, like, well, we haven't even guys. mentioned Nelson Aguilar still here as well. Is oh, yeah. he going to have a role? Because if if he has a role, this is going to be very difficult for fantasy because it just feels like no one's out there for all the routes. I just don't think he's going to have a role. Okay. I don't think he's not going to make the team just because of the cost of cutting him um, and carrying dead money. But I just, I just don't think between Bourne, Myers, John U. Smith, Hunter Henry, Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris, uh, Tyquan Thornton, I'm probably missing somebody. He's just so far back in the pecking order. And he just didn't give him enough bang for the buck. I don't think he's untalented. I don't think he's not trying. But I just think that it's just not him. But, again, changing offense, I could be wrong in terms of what it's going to look like when they start playing. That would give us some clarity, at least. That, that would be If I could give you a straight answer, answer, I know. That was no, a no, pretty no. straight <laughs> answer, to be honest. <laughs> That's a straight yeah. answer. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a straight answer. <laughs> what about the backfield, which is you know always a guessing game, not just season to season, but week to week? Yep. Is that it was any of that McDaniels related or is that just a, a Belichickian thing? It was McDaniels related, but there were some fumble problems early in the year. And Ramondre Stevenson had one and Belichick has a penchant for benching guys when they have a fumble. And he does. Which is all cute and adorable when Tom Brady's the quarterback and you can go out and roll out there and win against virtually anybody, no matter who's out there. But when you're already fighting with one hand tied behind your back in some ways, because Johnny Smith, wasn't playing well and Aguilar was an afterthought you can't you can't just try and be making points when you have a rookie so I think one interesting aspect of the running backs is they've always had the water bug third down back which has been interchangeable like the slot and been an absolute beast for producing stats I think Ramondre Stevenson is going to see more third down and maybe all three down usage than in the past so you know watch for him to to dive into some of the Harris stuff and make him a, a late round running back add too, if if you think that, you know, that's something you want to have because he could be productive some weeks. We are we are very excited. He is currently going ahead of Damian Harris in fantasy drafts. So. <laughs> Probably should be. I mean, he is an absolute beast. What about uh, Ty Montgomery and, and James White? Is someone going to be – I know James White's very much a question mark, but if if it's not James White – is it Ty Montgomery and kind of that Brandon Bolden, James White role? Or it sounds like you're saying maybe Ramondre can take on some of that role in a meaningful way. 
Yeah, but you still are going to have to have a guy just like you are alluding to, Pat. And that's that's most likely, I would think, going to be Ty Montgomery, just based on these first eight practices where we haven't yet seen um, any real reps against, you know, an opposing defense. But Montgomery catches everything thrown to him. He's in the right spot and, and he's getting a ton of reps. So basing it on that, and James White, the last time we saw him, was had a significant limp still from hip surgery. So I would say Montgomery would be your early bet for that third down back if they go conventional. Well, Tom, excellent stuff. We know you got to get out of here and maybe go listen to Mr. Belichick. And yes, maybe maybe put in a good word. Tell him you liked a good football show. There's two nice young Irishmen who might you know, tell him to come on the show, basically, is what I'm saying. Bill, have you ever seen a good football show? <laughs> Bill, have you ever uh, played fantasy football? Has ever played fantasy football? Oh, he no, went he... off on that the other day. You guys don't have <laughs> he that? Did. He no, actually I did. did. I did see uh, that. No such thing uh-huh. as a good football show unless it's a game. There is. <laughs> No such thing. Belichick. All right, boys. I got to get out there. Thank you very much, Tom. Awesome stuff. We'll be parsing it endlessly for weeks. Uh, Hopefully we (laughs) keep it in context. Uh, Well, and disclaimer to all of it, it was August 8th. I had no idea. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tom. Awesome stuff at NBC Sports Boston from Tom Curran. And we will be right back after this with the Athletics' Joe Biscalia. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Fantasy Football Expo presented by NBC Sports Edge is coming to Canton, Ohio this weekend. Join some of the top experts in the country, including our very own Patrick Darty, that's me, Patrick Corain, Danny Carter, Lawrence Jackson, and Kyle Dvorak at the only true fantasy football expo in the country. Tickets are available at the fantasyfootballexpo.com. Use promo code NBCPASS at checkout to save $20. It is now our distinct pleasure to welcome in the Athletics' Joe Biscalia for some Bills talk. Joe, when we first started citing you at Roto World, it was kind of like permanent winter for the Bills with <laughs> figures like Rex Ryan and EJ Manuel. And now you get to cover a team that has a perennial MVP contender, they're a perennial Super Bowl contender. And I don't, I don't, this isn't even really a question. I'm just kind of happy for you. Not that bad teams we know provide good copy, but yeah, you've, you've experienced a real 180 on the Bills beat. Yeah. My first year covering them was back in 2010, and they started the year 0 and 8. <laughs> 
and then Ryan Fitzpatrick stormed forward and w- finished the year four and four. The Bills were obsessed with Cam Newton the entire year, blew the first overall pick. They wound up picking three, getting Marcel Darius. And, you know, it all comes full circle because the guy that they wanted at three and they thought they were getting, Von Miller, is now here in Buffalo. So, uh, yeah, full circle. Um I was still in, like, it looks like I'm in a jail cell right now, but I was in one of these uh, dorm rooms back then at St. John Fisher University and still going strong here uh, as they come here for a few weeks every year. And we have been going strong citing you for seriously over a decade. And I hope that, I've been saying this to a lot of people this summer, I I hope we've kept you in context mostly uh, because you know how it's... I I appreciate it because, like, when when I started, I was doing, like, I was working at a sports radio station in town and like, who the hell cares what I have to say? And you guys have been great to me. I love it. Anything you guys ever need, I'm, I'm always in. I think, yeah, Evan Silva identified you as a talent early on and wow. he was very correct. And yeah, we have, you have love been our Evan. go-to. Yeah. Great I mean, I, he's the, he's the best and you've been our go-to bills dude for seriously a decade. So I guess we might as well start going to on this 2022 season, Joe, and we'll just start where every fantasy with the player, every fantasy manager wants to talk about, Gabriel Davis, the drumbeat of camp praise has been steady, you know, on the heels of his eight catch, 201 yard, four touchdown divisional round performance. You said, and again, I, we try, I try to keep this in context. It was a team scrimmage on a Friday evening. You said he was the best catch, best pass catcher on the field Friday night. You weren't sliding Stefan Diggs or anything. You just said Gabriel Davis looked like the best pass catcher on the field Friday. Like for lack of a better way to phrase this, like, is this happening is Gabriel Davis going to be an every snap player this season? Is he going to take the next logical step on the way he ended 2021? Well, he's definitely going to be an every snap player. Um, there's They don't really have much depth behind him. Uh, you know, the, the first guy that would probably be in if Diggs or Davis went down with an injury would either be switching Isaiah McKenzie to the outside or bringing in Khalil Shakir because they've been using him on the outside a bit. So that... there's really not much behind them right now. And Davis is also their best run blocking wide receiver. So even down the stretch late last year, he was getting higher snap percentages than uh, Stefan Diggs because of how versatile he could make them. And even when they're in like these, you know, two tight end sets, which I think they're going to do more of this year. um, He still finds his way on the field because he can kind of deceive, help deceive the opposing defense Uh, based on how well he blocks on a play-to-play basis. So he'll be out there a bunch. Um, There's really no doubt in my mind. I I would anticipate he's 90-plus percent snaps this year. There's, I mean, that's basically what he was down the stretch last season. Now, what will it translate from a statistical perspective? That remains to be seen because while he has, like, these incredible games – you know that sometimes the separation is lacking. He's gotten a lot better at that as the years, as the few years have gone on here. Um, he also has kind of a proclivity for a clunker every once and again. You know, I think he half of the games he started down the stretch. I think he had under 50 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it it might not be a consistent consistent week to week thing, but he certainly will have those spike games. Josh Allen looks for him. He's excellent along the sidelines and in in the end zone one of my favorite things about him which is why he's such a playing target for josh allen because he's awesome at improvisational um route running when when things break down because allen is constantly 
moving off his spot, getting out of the pocket, everything like that. And Gabriel Davis, if you watch him on film and, and even live in person from the press box, you see him constantly working himself back, finding the right angle, shielding the defender. He's really talented at that. And that, that gives him a lot of opportunity with a quarterback like Allen. So he's definitely a, a really nice player. I don't know what it's going to look like uh, for him, but uh, in st- statistically speaking, but yeah, he was great in that scrimmage. I'm a psycho and I kept stats for the actual scrimmage. You did. Um, I read them. So yeah, I'm a psycho, he, so I read them. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to everyone who wasted time. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was, it, it was fun. I love doing it. In terms of Gabriel Davis's role in the offense, do you expect that he'll kind of continue – like on the progression that he has, which is, I mean, he's basically been like a pure deep threat as a rookie at an A dot average step, the target of 17.4, which is like very much kind of like what Marcus Valdez Scantling was doing for the Packers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at 15.3 last year, also very deep downfield in his breakout game against the chiefs. His average depth was 20 and a half yards downfield. So that's going to create a lot of volatility. It's also going to create a lot of spike weeks, that particular role. But if he's out there, 90% plus snap share taking over a lot, of you know what Emmanuel Sanders was doing in the beginning of last season, do you think he'll see some more intermediate work, or is his role in the offense really to stretch the defense? No, I think you'll see some intermediate stuff. He's been he's been running a lot of slants this uh, this summer, and and is looking a lot better where he's getting more of separation than he had been in, in prior years. So, so that's, that's a plus for him. I think that's the the next step for him where he's going to go because we know he can win down the field. We know he can win at the catch point and we know he can win along the sidelines, but can he continue to do all these things, especially when the bills are going to be facing a fair amount of too high safety looks. Um, and they did last year to try and take away some of that stuff that David's so good at, but there is definitely potential here for him to help unlock Stefan Diggs a little bit, I think, because Diggs, you know, Emmanuel Sanders just wasn't cutting it last year. And it, it kind of felt that way once we got into like mid-October, early November, where it just seemed like the initial surge from Sanders, where he had a really strong first maybe like four or five weeks, just kind of dissipated and seemed like he was moving a bit slower. The routes weren't as crisp. Um, and and I think Diggs suffered from that uh, for a lot of the season because a lot of attention went on him. But because Gabriel Davis has kind of shown to be so dynamic, and if he continues to show this intermediate prowess that that we've seen through the summer so far, then I think that can uh, help just about everybody in that offense. Isaiah McKenzie slash Jamison Crowder included, maybe a little bit more Dawson Knox, but surely uh, Stefan Diggs because this he, he might be the he has the potential to be the most talented number two that Diggs has played with uh, since John Brown, but well, since John Brown kind of dissipated at, in his speed roll uh, down the stretch there. That's really exciting to hear you say, because I've been thinking along the lines of like, if we could get someone who can stretch the defense and take some defensive attention away, it's probably very good for Diggs. And his efficiency did suffer last year a little bit. Do you think that that could mean potentially more deep routes for Diggs if we're getting some more intermediate stuff from Gabe, Gabe Davis, and they're able to kind of use these guys a little bit more creatively rather than kind of in set roles? Yeah, I, I think there's some potential for that. It, the, the Bills are kind of in a low-key transition year with, with their offense, with Ken Dorsey at the helm. And so there's, there's a bit of guesswork as to what they'll inevitably be, because not only did they change the offensive coordinator, because, well, they had to, because Dable went to the Giants, but 
Um, they also changed offensive line coaches. And Bobby Johnson was very much a power scheme. You know, they scouted for power, everything like that. They bring in Aaron Cromer. They basically revamped their entire offensive line for more athletic guys. And so, and Aaron Cromer's most recent stop was in the Sean McVay school. And so I tend to think with that, the, the addition of OJ Howard and, um, you know, Sean McDermott's, you know, borderline, I wouldn't say obsession, but he, he's, he's liked the, uh, the zone blocking scheme and, and the, the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay style of, of running and play action work and everything like that. He, he's really been fond of that over the years. They tried it in back in 2017 with Rick Dennison as the offensive coordinator, another Shanahan disciple. That's but the, that, I just assume every, that didn't they're, work. they're all Shanahan disciples. Yeah, right. right exactly. Uh, well, this was a Mike Shanahan disciple, not 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 even Kyle. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think there is a, a bit of guesswork that's going on as to what they'll be to try and get these safeties away from from being deep down the field, um, trying maybe not even establishing the run more often, just like being more efficient with the run. I think is is the goal, and maybe it, it makes the uh, the route pat the route patterns and what they're doing from, from one play to the next a bit different than what we've seen from them. But uh, I think they're, they're just aiming on being a little bit more unpredictable than what they were last year. Joe, you just hit on like a lot of really interesting points there. And I, I feel like Josh Allen has become so good that we just kind of take the bills offense for granted at this point, which, you know, what a world, like what mm -hmm. a change. Like we just oh, yeah. accept that the Buffalo bills have an elite offense. I mean, it's been since the early 1990s since we accepted that, but it's kind of like underplayed that like they are changing offensive coordinators. They are maybe even changing philosophies. Like you said, there's been kind of smoke signals that like, I don't know if Sean McDermott unhappy with how much Josh Allen rushed. Was he unhappy with how much he passed? Like is there anything in particular you think Sean McDermott wants to see specifically change with Josh Allen's usage this year, or is he just to the point where he's going to let Josh be Josh no matter what? I think on the whole, they would prefer Josh to not rush as much just because if he goes down, this whole thing's going down. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there, there's not much. In no way to sugarcoat it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think they understand where, where they are with him. And he did set a career high in rushing attempts last year. Now, obviously he had an extra game, but um, be it as it may, you know, that he was still an efficient runner and everything like that. I think what maybe they want to get away from is, more of the designed runs like you don't want to take it completely away from him but that's why getting you know this idea of a more efficient run game like me it's not running the ball more than they did in the past maybe it's just running the ball more effectively with singletary with james cook with zach moss who by the way he's not going away we've um, been reading your missus yeah. and we've been unfortunately like we've been sadly reporting on them like yeah. that's the kind of thing we're like we don't want to post this, but yeah, many apologies, many apologies to everyone <laughs> yes, out there. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that that would be the ideal approach for them. Uh, I I don't think they want to go into the season and be like, hey, 60 percent run team. They're, that's just not them. They know they know who they are. But I do think there is a slight amount of variance involved with this year, especially because Dorsey's a first time offensive coordinator. Like the big question that I have coming into the season is how much of an impact will McDermott have 
at, with having a say as to how the offense goes as compared to what it just was with Brian Dable. Because when they hired Dable, they gave him complete autonomy. Um, Dermot is, you know, mixing in with the offense a bit more when Dennison was around, but Dable had been an offensive coordinator before. They just gave him complete control. It went off like gangbusters. He was great, uh, obviously super talented, creative mind, everything like that. But what happens now that, you know, McDermott has been in the league for five years and going into his sixth season? What happens because Dorsey will be calling plays for the first time in his career? He has concepts. He has creative ideas. But what happens when things start to go awry in a season and, and how do they respond? That's the biggest question I have with them. In terms of the backfield, we saw – the last time we saw the Bills, Devin Singletary against the Chiefs had 100% of the backfield snaps. And really throughout the end of the season was consolidating that backfield. And it was, you know, one of the biggest, uh, one of the, the highest percentages of snaps going to the lead back of any uh, backfield in the league. But now, you know, you're talking about Zach Moss still having a role and still being involved. And obviously they selected James Cook in the second round and they did signed J.D. McKissick uh, until he then signed back. <laughs> AKA was clearly a priority to add a pass. A Which, by the way, I think Brandon Bean is still mad about. Yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> that's fair. So, yeah, so we've of course, seen Of course, the Commanders. That's, just, that's the kind of thing that can only happen with the Commanders, but <laughs> I digress. We've seen lots of signals that, you know, they want to move away from this, this Singletary-only backfield. But what, what do you expect it to look like? How big can the James Cook role B is there a chance they eventually do kind of have a lead back like they did at the end of last year is this going to be a two to three way committee I think it would be a it'll be a two to three way committee I think what happened last year happened because they they just could not wind up trusting either Zach Moss or Matt Breda down the stretch and a large part I think had to do with Zach Moss coming back from from a a pretty significant uh, foot injury he suffered in the playoffs. That's one of these things that have kind of gone under the radar with Zach Moss down the stretch in 2020 as a rookie, he was their best running back. And I don't think the bills forgot that. Um, he, it certainly did not go well last year for him. They, they wound up having to make him a healthy scratch against uh, the saints on Thanksgiving. But once he started to work back in on his, the few reps that he had, he was, he was doing pretty well with them, but by the end of that, by the end of the season, they got to a point where it's like, okay, well, we can't really trust um, Zach Moss if he's been a bit hit or miss this year. would rather go with the known commodity in Singletary and kind of go from there. But Singletary, there's a few complicating issues here with him taking control of the backfield. One being they've constantly looked to replace him as a pass catcher. I mean, there's quite there's literally no, constantly. Yeah, there's There's <laughs> no way around that. Secondly, he's on the final year of his contract, and you know I don't know what the future holds for him. I can't say that they're going to sign him to a lucrative extension or anything like that. So having Zach Moss under contract, not only this year but next year, helps him in being more uh, involved in the offense this year. And then, of course, James Cook is, is another complicating issue. So I could see a situation, a really muddy situation forming here where Singletary is a guy on first and second downs. Maybe they trust him in pass protection on third downs. Zach Moss being like a short yardage vulture type because he does have the, the good body for it. And he's consistently been working with the Josh Allen group along with Singletary and Cook. And then Cook being that, that pass catcher role. But I do think there is, you know, some of the, the variants that we were talking about with Ken Dorsey. 
I think there might be some opportunities where maybe you have um, you have one of Singletary or Moss in the backfield, Cook split out wide, those sort of things, and in, in manufacturing some uh, snaps for him that way. But uh, do I think it's going to be a, a huge role for James Cook this year, which I, I know probably a lot of people want to know for fantasy purposes? Maybe not as big as you're thinking. Uh, I think, you know, early J.D. McKissick stuff is probably uh, a good way to to look at this with him. Not but 80 it, catch it, J.D. McKissick right. stuff. Early, early, early. So because they do tend to take it slow with a lot of their rookies anyway. Well, that, that was going to be my next question. Just that like we know the Bills, as you guys were saying, I mean, they made a real effort to get a pass catching back. It was clearly a point of emphasis in the offseason, but we just also know that's a really tall role for a rookie. And, you know, it's like the final boss for being an NFL running back. Can we trust you in pass protection? And right. especially can we trust you in pass protection when we're a Super Bowl contender? And the quarterback you're protecting is Josh Allen. So I was just I was gonna ask, is James Cook doing the necessary thing so far in camp to at least give himself a shot at being like the true third down guy? And even maybe it's not as many snaps as fantasy managers want, but yeah. Is he doing what's needed so far to like keep himself seriously in the mix to be like the primary third down back? Yeah, it the the pass pro has been hit or miss with Cook. There have been some bad reps, um, and that's Uh-oh. that's it, well, yeah. There there's just some you have to learn as you go, and I think it's one of those skills that you can get a lot better at uh, the more you more you go as long as you commit to it. But it's one of those things, like you pointed out, it's like the final boss. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no really way of getting around it, and it will keep you off the field if, if uh, you are not proficient enough at it, especially in some uh, pretty remarkable times down the stretch in games where you might need them, uh, where you might need your pass catching back to be able to step in and, and pick up a blitz. So, yeah, he's, he's been okay in, in that respect. Um, yeah, it, it's it the way that it's shaping up right now. I mean, you know, it. I I heard uh, Tom uh, from the Patriots beat. You know, it's August eighth. Be it as it may, it's August eighth. So maybe Zach Moss in preseason shows he can't be trusted. But um, the way that it's looked so far, and and how well he's played, and how you know the dynamic element that Cook brings as a pass catcher, it just it just it just feels muddy right now. What's the upside for Moss in in this uh, backfield? Like, can he kind of force a split here if James Cook is struggling in pass pro, the role small to begin the year? Like, is there kind of a 50-50 timeshare thing going on? Is that a, in the range of outcomes for Moss? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, Singletary still mixes in, in there, too. So that's why mm-hmm. it's just, like, murky all the way around. Um, I meant between him and Singletary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got you. Um, I think his best – his best shot at it is to try and supplant Singletary rather rather than uh, rather than Cook. Um, I think Cook probably will contend with Singletary in that third down role more than anything because Singletary, you know, he's of the three backs, he's probably the best in pass protection. So that could help him stay on the field, uh, maybe when people are expecting to see James Cook because of how dynamic he can be. Um, so that that would, I think, if Moss can kind of fill his way into that role because they do like him and he, and he has been good in the past. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's muddy and I'm sorry. I don't have a distinct answer. for No, you. no it's, we, it's, we it's demand bad. complete and final answers on August yeah. 8th. Cause it's yeah. well, sometimes, sometimes the answers we need are, is, is no. We just need the answer. We need is to, like, an acknowledgement of uncertainty. Like, okay, yeah, we were probably a little, <laughs> 
too bullish on that. Yeah. It's funny. My observation on the Bills backfield is this is funny. Like they've tried the two or three man committee for so long, like post snow game fiasco last year is when they kind of like fully committed to Devin Singletary. And then like, you know, that's when they finally actually had a little success, but I also understand why you don't fully commit to Devin Singletary, but it's just, right. it's interesting that we're kind of back to square one. After yeah. That. He's just, he's just not all that remarkable as a runner. Like he has some really nice games, but uh, you know, is he going to give you a dynamic element catching out of the backfield? No. Is he going to, that's where he really struggles. I feel like he's just not right. a exactly. pass catcher. Lowest yards per hour in the league last year. Yeah, that, that I I believe it. Um, and is he going to burn a defense for a long touchdown? No, yeah. he doesn't have that skill set. Is he a goal line back? No, he's small. Um, so he's just he's just kind of like I said, unremarkable. And I I think there's there's a lot to the fact that the Bills were sniffing around pretty heavily on, on in the top backs in the draft and. I'm fairly certain that um, if they were not able to move up to get Kyir Elam, that uh, they would have been very interested in moving down and, and drafting Brees Hall this past year. So there is that element to it, too. Joe, we know you're busy. We'll get you out of here in just a second, but we can't let you leave without asking about the slot situation where there's intrigue with Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie. McKenzie's been working ahead of Crowder for a lot yeah. of the summer, and you reported earlier he was one of the true stars of the early days of camp. Who, who do you think is going to be out there in the slot uh, in week one? Because I feel like my sense from afar was always that the Bills want to protect Isaiah McKenzie. They don't want him – this is truly me, just me guessing. Like, it always seemed like to me they didn't want like, overexpose him. It's like, you know, he's a very, much smaller guy. But is it just to the point where they can't – like they've got to feature him because he's, he's just demanding it with his play? What is going on in the slot? Yeah, he's been great so far. Uh, he's, missed, he's missed the last couple of days of practice um, due to some – soreness um that's as much as we've gotten uh but Jamison Crowder has been able to work in with with Josh Allen and company the last couple of days he's looked pretty good um but the thing that McKenzie provides that Jamison Crowder just doesn't right now is yards after catch and that has been a huge talking point um for the Bills the entire spring the entire summer they want to manufacture more yards after the catch and I just don't know that Jamison Crowder is giving you that. Is he going to give you that? Um, you always know where he's going to be and he's supposed to be where he is. Yes, 100%. And that's why some people thought that, you know, maybe it's when, when they want to attack a zone, it's Jamison Crowder. And when they want to attack man, it, it's Isaiah McKenzie. But I think that might be selling themselves a little bit short because of the raw potential of McKenzie to blow a play up. I mean, everyone remembers the Patriots game last year where he just roasted their nickel corner in man-to-man -man coverage. It seemed like every single play. Um, I think it was every play. It, yeah, <laughs> every basically. Play. And for some reason, the Patriots didn't switch out a man, which was oh, wild. Was interesting. Um, but McKenzie, to them, represents that. And he's come back, and he's he's gotten better at route running. I, he's, he's definitely looked better against his own and being able to sit in and find those weak spots. So that's why I think he's going to have first crack. I mean, Crowder still has a chance here. I'm not going to declare it a dead competition or anything like that, but McKenzie is definitely ahead in my mind. And if they had to start the season, I would, I would think McKenzie's the, McKenzie is the starter right now. If McKenzie's the starter, is is Shakir sort of the what you think of as the traditional wide receiver for because he can play somewhat on the outside as well as in the slot? See, that 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 is uh, – I don't know the answer to that question just yet because – they typically keep it really 
um, they, they take it really slow with their young players. Uh, you know, Tredavious White, notwithstanding, he started right away in 2017 because he had to. But I think with Shakir, the fact that he has the flexibility to play both inside and outside helps him here. But remains to be seen what they would do in the event of an injury, like I kind of pointed out before, is Jamison Crowder um, just going to get pushed into the slot role, maybe move Isaiah McKenzie to the outside because they know he can play there and, you know, maybe mix in Shakir as that wide receiver for in that point. I went for on Shakir. I went from thinking that he would be game day inactive this year to thinking that he would have some sort of small role on game days, whether that's um, kick or punt return, probably punt return more than anything. If, if, if he wins that job um, and maybe snaps here or there, I think there is some value there. They really like Khalil Shakir. They, they think he can, he can really be something in the system down the line. Is he there just yet? Probably not, but um there is some long-term potential there for him. So it sounds like he's the next Gabriel Davis, forcing his <laughs> way onto the field as a rookie. More or less. Yeah, as a day three rookie. Joe, I, we do have to get Joe. Real Dawson Knox. Fantasy sure. managers aren't really talking about Dawson Knox this summer. I think it's kind of been taken for granted. He will regress. Are we overthinking that? Because he's a guy who makes really explosive plays up the seam and just – what is your quick general outlook on Dawson Knox for this season? Yeah, really touchdown dependent uh, last year, and I'm a fantasy guy too. So I'm pretty sure you were a fantasy guy. Oh, oh my god, I, I read I read uh, Pat's dynasty stuff all the time. I run a dynasty league. It's it's like you are Let's my go. dude. I, I, I love your stuff. Um, Grain's really good at the dynasty. Yeah, yeah, he, he's good. And the article you wrote about uh, the uh, I forget the term for the home run running back. Oh, the legendary running back. Legendary, legendary upside. Unbelievable stuff. Devin Singletary um, didn't. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Uh, <laughs> but Dawson Knox, to me, I think it, it's it's tough because he does have some drop problems that have resurfaced a little bit this year. Um, it, they kind of went away last year. That and his um, the the amount of times that he successfully brought in a catch rose last year. Uh, I do know that Josh Allen trusts him. Josh Allen loves him. They're complete bros with one another um, <laughs> uh, to the point where I think it's going to help Knox get a really nice contract here in, <laughs> here in Buffalo because of how close they are. But yeah, I think th- they do have a good chemistry. They show it during practices. Is it going to result in him potentially being a top five uh, fantasy tight end? I would probably err against that just because, you know, Davis digs, even McKenzie, you, you you throw that in there. And I mean, it's just a lot of stuff going on with this passing offense. But I will say they might do a little bit more two tight end stuff, which could lend itself to more opportunity for Knox. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not like itching to draft him if if it's me. Well, Joe, thank you so much. We know time is very precious this time. Although Tom Tom Curran claimed to us he wasn't even that busy right now. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, luckily, like, luckily you caught me. Uh, well, practice happens in the mornings, and I, I just filed, so I got all the time in the world. I just got to drive back to, to Buffalo tonight. That's it. <laughs> yeah, Tom was acting like, oh, it's all like NFL marketing. It's not even. It's like I'm not laying bricks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that's 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 basically it. I I have I have no idea um, like why what I do is as popular as it is like from just from people reading it and, and, and listening to the stupid things I have to say about football, but Hey, here we are. I'll take it. No. And we know kidding aside, we do are extremely busy this time of year. So we really, really appreciate you taking the time 
to join us. We really appreciate that you let us cite you and don't get mad. And we try to contextualize your contextualizations uh, faithfully and accurately. Um, but just awesome stuff with The Athletic for Joe Biscalia at Joe Biscalia on Twitter. And Joe, just thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you guys for everything you've done for me over the years. I appreciate it. We appreciate Thanks, the information and we will continue to use it. Um, so en- <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the rest of camp, Joe. Thanks, guys. That was Joe Biscalia from The Athletic. Truly one of the best beat writers in the entire industry. Truly. We really, really appreciate him taking the time. And now Pat and I will take the time to talk about the New York Jets and Miami Dolphins right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Prep for your draft with the latest player rankings, projections, and more in the NBC Sports Edge Fantasy Football Draft Guide. It's powered by Roto-World, the premier source for player news, and fantasy information take advantage of our preseason special and get the draft guide for five dollars when you use promo code draft guide at checkout on nbcsportsedge.com slash draft guide well pat we've got two really good guests and now we got two really good pats to talk about two maybe good teams question mark probably not uh you're cracking me up with these transitions I, i've been listening to the denny podcast and it's there's been some hit or miss transitions there but I'm two the, in a row here. Real well, I'm life. the transition king. That's the thing is I really go for it. And so sometimes when you really go for it, you know, like a auteur movie director, you know, like a, like an auteur musician, like you, when you try to make every album your masterpiece, some will flop. Well, that's been, that's You've got a real concept album going here. It's yeah, yeah. beauty. <laughs> that's me with the transitions. That <laughs> most of the time, you know, I just have so much respect for the craft. They're going to be good. But then yeah. I just I overreach sometimes, and they go down like the. You gotta you gotta learn where the limits are. Yeah, exactly. I'm just probing what the limits. It's August, you know. <laughs> I'm just probing what the limits of the transitions are, Pat, and the Jets are probing what the limits of the Zach Wilson led offense is. And uh, I'm just... you did it. You got there. <laughs> I did it. I, I land the plane there. Um, Mike, first question for you is a certified fantasy football sicko is how safe do we feel treating Elijah Moore as the Jets' unquestioned number one receiver, a team that used the top ten pick on a wide receiver, a team that still has Corey Davis like on a huge contract, Elijah Moore like a second-year slot guy. Is it are we, are we comfortable with him being like clearly the guy to treat as the number one receiver for the Jets in fantasy? I'm not that comfortable with it. I've, I haven't been very comfortable with it the whole time, uh, you know, that we've – 
that we've been drafting, which, you know, basically the Super Bowl. Same for you. I think you started during the halftime show. Yeah, during the, the halftime show of the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, that's when you get your first drafts in. But yeah, I've never been super comfortable with his ADP, which, you know, it's been kind of in the the sixth round. And it started to fall a little bit. And also we're starting to hear from camp that like, oh, he is the guy. And so that has made me get on board a little bit more with the Elijah Moore hype train. Uh, He did have a very good rookie season. He was a very good prospect. Uh, He was efficient in yards per outrun in college. He was efficient in yards per outrun in his rookie season. And, you know, that's saying something for an offense that was not efficient overall. Uh, he's a little bit undersized, uh, weighed in at the combine at 178. But I believe he's playing around 190 or higher now. And he he showed that he can play on the outside, which I think is a big, big deal for a, a player of his size. He's also uh, like 5'9". So, you know, for him to be able to play outside, definitely a big question mark entering the league. And we've gotten some some good evidence that he can. But then they draft Garrett Wilson. And, you know, Garrett Wilson is an outside wide receiver, and they took him with the 10th pick in the draft. Elijah Moore was a second-round pick the year before, and partly because of that draft capital, but also partly because Garrett Wilson is just really productive at Ohio State. I think Wilson is a better prospect than Moore. Doesn't necessarily mean everything since we have a rookie season for Moore, and Garrett Wilson is going to be a rookie. Elijah Moore entering his second year, you would expect him to, to have more of a chance to be productive in his second year. But that down the stretch could be a real issue for Elijah Moore if Garrett Wilson lives up to basically, I would say, borderline elite prospect profile. Like, I think he's a similar level of prospect as Jalen Waddell and CeeDee Lamb and and Jerry Judy. Like, he's a very, very good prospect. So in an offense that probably can't support more than one fantasy-relevant wide receiver. No. I am a little bit nervous about Elijah Moore, even still, even at a slightly cheaper uh, ADP than he than he had. And Garrett Wilson is always very cheap in these drafts. You can get Garrett Wilson in the ninth round, basically every draft you want. So it is difficult to for me to like be super super excited about Moore, but I definitely I don't want to be betting against Elijah Moore this year. It's just that I also want to be betting on Garrett Wilson at at this ADP. As, as you kind of alluded to, Elijah Moore is the wide receiver 32 currently an underdog. Garrett Wilson's outside the top 50. And that is just what I get hung up on, the data point of they use the top 10 pick on a wide receiver. And that's just very scary when you're a slot man, you know, especially. But, like, the things with Elijah Moore is, you know, like, as a rookie, like, he was the guy last summer. Like, he was the guy who, like, all summer was taking over Jets practice. Like, we started hearing that, like, mini camp. Like, wow, like, Elijah Moore – we're getting the reports like Elijah Moore is like the best player on the field type of stuff. And like you said, that's kind of happening again this summer. He produced the four different quarterbacks as a rookie, Josh Johnson, Mike White, Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson. Like where I mean, part of it was because there weren't compelling other targets, but he was like commanding targets from four different quarterbacks as a, as a slot man rookie. Like that's pretty compelling. And I still, at the end of the day, I think I feel comfortable betting on Elijah Moore, but I certainly understand the hang-up about the, well, this team used the top 10 pick. And yet Corey Davis is making like $12 million a year. Um, so it's just and kind I, of a strange situation. I was a little worried. The Corey Davis thing was part of the reason that I was worried about more because Davis is an outside wide receiver through and through. Like he's not going to be in the slot. He's not going to be a big slot. 
I don't think so. Yeah, that's he would be. Really... He would be if they did. He, he would be if they did. Yeah, yeah. but I was worried. Good. You know, I was like, okay, so Corey Davis, who saw a ton of targets when he was actually on the field last year, huge, huge target per route run from Corey Davis, um, and you know, seems like they want him to be a part of the offense. Down the stretch, are we seeing Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson playing on the outside and? into wide receiver sets is that the alignment and that that has had me nervous but this training camp stuff has me feeling like no we're not going to see that if they view elijah moore as the clear number one guy you know he can play out wide um he played out wide on 70 percent of his snaps last year like that is not i actually didn't know that nor would i have guessed that yeah i I had to double check i was looking at elijah moore here uh (laughs) that I wasn't quoting a uh, Corey Davis. He was actually 71%. So I guess we're forgetting Braxton. about the greatness of Braxton Berrios in the slot. That, that concerns me a little bit to hear Braxton Berrios, name. Cause you'll hear him, you know, from the beat reporters, they they're still talking about Braxton Berrios having an important Got that dog in the offense. Yeah. And so that's not, we don't want a rotation on a bad offense. We want all the routes. We want, you know, 95% uh, of the snaps and routes going to Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson, ideally. Um, and maybe we won't have that, but I'm starting to feel better and better that we will, at least with more. Uh, and that in three wide receiver sets, sure, more probably kicks into the slot. But in two wide receiver sets, we're looking at more and Davis and then eventually more and Wilson. And as we know, you never wanted to overreact to practice reports, to camp reports, but you don't, you can also, you can acknowledge, like you can lean into a fact when a guy consistently, Two years in a row, I just dominates like he just dominates camp reports, wows everyone, and then he was very good as a rookie. Like you can't, you can lend credence to Elijah Moore again, kind of like blowing up Jets camp. And, and Corey Davis, by the way, in terms of contract stuff, is like one of the easiest cut candidates in the league. Like they're going to move on from him after the year. So these young guys, I think, have to disappoint to not displace him by the end of the year. That, that feels very, very accurate to me. And so we talk about our confidence level, the safety level of Elijah Moore. What's the confidence level and like the safety level of Brees Hall as a top 20 running back where he's been pretty consistently going as a top 20 all summer and best ball. He'll, I'm very confident he will also go as a top 20 and like more conventional redraft with more conventional drafters logging on this month. Does that feel like a safe investment to you or – is this again, you know, a team that had to pass like a ton last year. They finally started running a little more down the stretch and they got game script a little more under control. But does, does Brees Hall feel like a safe top 20 rookie running back to you, Pat? Well, as we were uh, just reminded by uh, Joe Biscalia, we are drafting running backs for upside. So, no, uh, Brees Hall is not safe. He's a rookie on the Jets. Uh, there's almost nothing less safe than that. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going for upside uh, with Brees Hall, and he has a very strong upside profile. He's very good. Uh, he's very good. He is a good breakaway runner. He was highly elusive in college. He kind of profiled like David Montgomery or something. Oh, when they went to the music same to my ears. Yeah, but unfortunately, David Montgomery, not very fast. Brees Hall actually has – NFL breakaway speed, which is a pretty big deal because, like, you want to make guys miss, but what really matters is what happens after you do that. And Brees Hall might be able to rip off long runs after he makes guys miss. So that's kind of what you're betting on, betting on, you know, what 
at least system-wise, this this uh, Shanahan-style rushing system should be able to deliver efficient rushing. We're going to need Zach Wilson to take a step forward, and we're going to need Brees Hall to get enough of the receiving work from Michael Carter that he's not purely a two-down grinder. But he was decently efficient as a receiver in college. Um, not like this special receiving prospect, but I would say like kind of similar to like Cam Akers or that type of archetype where he's going to be fine as a receiver if they want to use him that way. And kind of similar maybe to like a Jonathan Taylor where he's not going to be like a satellite back type in the receiving game, but he can get moving quickly. He can have big plays through the receiving game. So that's really the bet with Brees Hall. Um, when he's going at like the four or five turn, I love it. When you have to take him more in the mid fourth, which is typically where he's at now. Not as nice, but I, I have no issues, uh, you know, taking a crack at, at uh, his upside there. I do just think you'll see more of a run game commitment from the Jets this year, who, again, were near amongst the league leaders in pass attempts last year. They played at a very fast pace, too. And this was just because they were frequently down multiple scores. And I think they like their defense a little bit better this year. They, of course, used a top 40 pick on Brees Hall. And I, I do think it'll be a slightly better overall run game environment for whoever the Jets lead back is, and the Jets lead back is going to be Brees Hall. So I do think that maybe, while it is inherently risky, Jets lead running back, I do think they're going to try to make the environment better. And like, like so Brees Hall has, has a very, very strong profile, and breakaway speed is the thing that David Montgomery has really been lacking, and I, I do think Brees Hall has that. And uh, I think you can be reasonably – you can have a reasonable degree of confidence in Brees Hall as a top 20 running back. Um, yeah, I so, think it's the type of bet that, you know, in the dead zone and everything, you want to take bets on the unproven guys who we think might be really talented. It's it's usually those guys who break out of that range rather than guys who we're projecting volume for, because if we're projecting a ton of volume for you and you're not going in the first two rounds, probably reason for that. So speaking of an un unproven guy who might be really talented, Pat, we have Zach Wilson. And really, I mean, kind of no way to sugarcoat. It was a horrid rookie season. He did, after he came back from injury, cut down on the interceptions. That was like the bare minimum for what he needed to do was cut down on his turnovers. He did do that, but there wasn't like any corresponding increase in like big plays or big production. He just wasn't a very good quarterback at all last year. But again, he did take the first step to cut down those turnovers. They're building around him or they, you know, they hope they have a building block building blocks at tackle. They hope they have building blocks at receiver now. They hope they have a building block at running back. Does Zach Wilson intrigue you at all in super flex leagues? Or is there not really – whereas we're making like upside cases all summer for Trevor Lawrence, do you have a similar case to make for Zach Wilson? Yeah, I'm not actually making like all the upside cases for Trevor Lawrence. I think I think people are finally catching on that maybe that's not the best idea. <laughs> Like, because there's this whole thing of like, we're writing off Trevor Lawrence's rookie season. Why aren't we doing it for Fields and Wilson? And it's like, maybe we shouldn't do yeah, it for maybe Lawrence. We do that. No, like, I know, I, I know Urban Meyer was a disaster, but was that affecting Trevor Lawrence's accuracy? Yeah. Because the accuracy is, wasn't great. It is an interesting philosophical question. Yeah. And I look, I, I think it's fine to take stabs at Lawrence. And uh, I'm, I'm also taking some stabs on Fields and I'm taking some stabs. On Zach Wilson is kind of like, uh, you know, I, I've gotten boxed out of everything else uh, in terms of best ball. And in Superflex, you know, I think you can say this. 
he's not getting benched. No, he's not getting benched. So in Superflex, Joe Flacco is still on the team. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Unless Brian Flores is added to the Jets staff, they're probably not going to be benching uh, Zach Wilson. They're not. So that alone in Superflex can be helpful. But I, I am not particular, particularly excited for his ability to have spike weeks this year and take a big step forward. But I, I like what the Jets are doing. Um, they're they're continuing to surround him with weapons, and so you know maybe maybe there's a little bit more here because um, you know he was a rookie and he, Davis was hurt for much of the year last year. His his best weapon, Elijah Moore, was also a rookie. Uh, I think in a weird way, like he he'll be a lot better off if he just checks down more. Like, yeah, I think like no, seriously, we need, like less. We need like more conservative play. Seriously, from take layups. Yeah. And just the really oversimplified take on it was if Josh Allen needed two years coming out of Wyoming, Josh Allen, who is, I mean, Zach Wilson has a very elite, has a very intriguing athletic profile, but it wasn't like as elite as Josh Allen's was. And no. if Josh Allen needed two years coming out of Wyoming, Zach Wilson probably needs a minimum of two years coming out of BYU, or his biggest college game came against Coastal Carolina. So let's just, yeah, he does, he actually does need to be more conservative. That's a very interesting point, correct point. Zach and he again started to kind of live up to that where he at least cut down on the turnovers after his yeah. injury last year. But we then I don't know, then we're not getting the big plays, which is supposed to be where his value is. So yeah. But now, maybe the big plays come this year with you know more in his second year and Wilson there too. I mean it, Wilson, the nice thing about Wilson is like he has to be bad for this offense not to take at least some step forward. Whereas like you look at Justin Fields, Justin Fields can be good in the offense could get worse yeah, that's a really good point uh you're really underrating Velas jones pat uh, yeah, really well, i mean the offensive line over there too is uh yeah i know they got really good really good vibes with their second year second rounder tevin jenkins this really good stuff going on with the yeah, Chicago second Bears. rounder second teamer yeah there, there you go uh we'll be right back after this to wrap up with the miami dolphins just a reminder if you don't have the nbc sports predictor app powered by points bet to go download it now the contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in Major League Baseball, on the PGA Tour, and on the NASCAR circuit. We also have a special contest on Tuesday and Thursdays called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. I'll tell you what, real quick, what's happening in Major League Baseball is that the St. Louis Cardinals are never losing another game. They just swept the New York Yankees. I'm sorry if that triggers you, Pat. I know it doesn't because I think you're a Red Sox fan. But um, I'm not a Red Sox fan. <laughs> I'm not even a baseball fan, but I'm definitely That's... not a Red Sox fan. All right. Okay. I was just taking a guess. Uh, you're I from Delaware, Delaware, right? On the Cleveland Indians. That was my dad's team and a uh, very painful 90s experience for me. Capped off by <laughs> another very, very painful World Series loss. Uh, more so they're a football analyst, basically. And that's yeah, why I'm they, asking uh, you. I don't watch baseball. And that's why I'm asking you about Chase Edmonds as the RB30 and best ball. I think that ADP will probably be higher again in more conventional redraft leagues this month. Is there any actual fantasy appeal to this unpredictable? Ba- I mean, I guess fantasy managers are finding it by taking Chase Edmonds as like a mid-range flex. But see, you know, where are the fantasy points come from in this backfield? Because it just seems like Chase Edmonds is once again destined to be the between the twenties running back, and then what? It's Sony Michelle at the goal line. It's Raheem Mostert when they want like a change of pace, big play. Just where is the fantasy appeal in this Dolphins backfield? And is the answer it's just Chase Edmonds between the twenties? Well, I mean, so this is a backfield where I'm betting on everyone 
basically, not Miles Gaskin. I, I'm betting on Sonny Michel, Raheem Mostert, and Chase Edmonds. Edmonds goes in a range where if you've gone true zero running back in these best ball drafts, he's sitting right there for you in like the ninth round. And it's just an easy pick, you know, eighth, ninth, right there. Like you can get a guy who is going to have a role for sure and, you know, might might start the season pretty well as well. You know, maybe Sony earns a bigger role over time and it becomes more of a muddled committee over time. But I think Edmonds probably gets the first crack at the starting job, given the money they gave him. Um, you would hope. Seems like a good fit. Yeah, you'd hope. It is a shanty right. disciple, so you never really know. Yeah, but I think like week one through four, we're probably feeling okay about Chase Edmonds' role or whatever. So even if it then gets away from him. So I kind of like him as like my RB1 in those types of builds. And I agree with you. I think his ADP will probably rise. But, you know, if you have to take him in the seventh, eighth of a managed league or something, I think that's probably okay as well. And then because we know who Chase Edmonds is so thoroughly that he's not going to be used at the goal line whatsoever, then that creates opportunities to take the other but the other running backs who are both basically free. So uh, Sony Michelle definitely jumps out to me a little bit more um, because, you know, I could see him being used more at the goal line. And if specifically we're betting against Chase Edmonds having a goal line role, then Sony Michelle probably the better bet than Mostert for that specifically. But on the other hand, we know Mostert knows this scheme super, super well. He's super fast. Uh, the reports have been that his, his speed has been back. Uh, I am definitely nervous about Mostert, though. He's 31 years old. He's coming off a knee cartilage repair, which is not what you want. I mean, that's no. definitely – that really worries me. That's like, is he – is his knee going to hold up for an entire season? So I've started to – before I was kind of Mostert over Michelle a little bit, and now I've flipped that. I'm kind of, I kind of lean Mostert. I kind of lean Michelle over Mostert, but – I think both guys are are totally uh, fine best ball picks and, uh, you know, good managed leagues is, is kind of last round dark thirds as well. I think you have to lean Michelle too, just because you can point to what the upside is with him. The upside is that he will score touchdowns, we think. Yeah. Or with Mostert, even if he's healthy, like I feel like his ideal role is like just being a true change of pace back. Someone you put in, maybe in a hurry up offense, like just opportunities. We try to get him in space to use his speed. And just, I feel like the natural role for a 31-year-old known for blazing speed who can't stay healthy is to be a cop back. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't see like a goal line role developing there, obviously. And just like the one the one thing you can identify with Chase Edmonds backups is that Sony Michelle will probably get a chance to score some touchdowns. So I think you have to lean yeah. Sony Michelle. But, but Edmonds, uh I'm in a main event draft right now, and he went in the late eighth round. And you know, these leagues tend to be pretty running back heavy um they're not they're managed leagues they're not best ball leagues so you know to get him at that price uh went in the eighth round of another one of these um i I think edmonds is pretty interesting he's he's not gonna like win you your league necessarily but if you're in a position where you need that early season help at running back uh i think he's pretty his adp is pretty well priced he's one of those yeah guys where i think fantasy people we've just we assume, like, we just think we know who he is, like a total known commodity. We think there's no upside there. The, the fading probably has gone a little too far. So I think that's interesting. No, I, li- I like it. Keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, keep I'm it. enjoying the keep eighth round. Uh, <laughs> um, Pat, can Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill 
both be top 18 fantasy wideouts or does something kind of got to give here? I mean, Tyreek Hill's ADP has obviously taken a big time, no Patrick Mahomes hit, but I mean, they're both in the top 18. Tyreek Hill is understandably being drafted ahead of Jalen Waddell, but is this really an offense that can support two like high, like wide receiver one slash high end wide receiver twos? Or do you think there's going to be some bitter disappointment here? I, I've been a little bit more nervous to take Tyreek because he's more expensive. He's going on the 2-3 the turn. You can get Waddle. I've been able to get Waddle in the fourth round pretty consistently. There's a period where he was like kind of a feature of the 3-4 the turn, but I think kind of the post-Tim Patrick injury, Sutton price has creeped up a bit, and that's helped, helped push Waddle down a tiny bit. DJ Moore, obviously kind of more going in the, the late third now that, that um, they got Baker Mayfield. So – Waddle, through really nothing to do with Waddle, has started to drop a little bit, um, and that's made me more interested in, in taking him. I I guess I do think that the offense can support two weapons because we've seen San Francisco support two weapons, one of them being Debo Samuel and the other being George Kittle. Obviously, Kittle having tight end eligibility makes him a lot more intriguing, but you know PPR points, he had 14.3 PPR points per game last season. I don't think we'd be crushed at a fourth round ADP if Waddle turns in a season like that. And, you know, that then would, we're basically hoping for like a Debo level season from Tyreek. But what I like about, uh, what I like about Waddle is that I don't know which one of these guys is going to deliver that type of big season. If we, if we get it, like, I think Waddle's not drawing dead to be, you know, the kind of the Debo breakout from this offense. He was a great prospect, very efficient as a rookie. Mike McDaniel, when asked about, you know, who should I, what's the fantasy guy take here of this offense? He would literally screamed Waddle. That was before the Tyreek trade, but like this guy has plans <laughs> for Jalen Waddle. So getting what's increasing, like basically, you know, you can get Tyreek at the end of the second, sometimes Waddle's at the end of the fourth, not usually, but you know, that give me that discount. That That's pretty nice. Yeah, I do agree with your overall take too. That even though it probably doesn't feel great to be relying on two Tagovailoa to support two ostensibly elite fantasy receivers, we have seen it done in this offense many, many, many times. Their skill sets do dovetail kind of nicely. Where at least we know Tyreek, we know how teams are generally going to want to use him. We know how Jalen Waddle was used as a rookie. He's a bigger play threat than the way he was used. He didn't have to be so, so, so underneath the way he was as a rookie, but we do know he thrived in that role. Um, so it does seem like that it's big enough for the two of them, basically. And um, th- yeah, they're, they're probably going to end up being like for the, this isn't right, right? Like they're both not worth these prices. Yeah. And that's what is weird about it. But, but, but I also don't think the prices are bad because there are scenarios where, Waddle really disappoints and Tyree crushes and vice versa. So it is just one of those things where you have to price the upside. It's just, yeah, a situation is so, so much uncertainty with totally new scheme, totally new, new coach. We don't know. I mean, they, again, they fit well. They combine nicely on paper, their skill sets, but it's just like everything's a variable with the Dolphins this year, including if, if Tua is good. And so I guess that's how we we'll end the show is like who, so we know, that we're drafting Tyreek. We know that we're drafting Jalen Waddle. We know that we're drafting Sony Michelle, but 
who are we sleeping on in this Dolphins offense? I mean, Mike Jacecki is the kind of pick like no one ever wants to make, but we know the targets will probably still be there. Tua is the guy who has shown just enough to not get totally written off in fantasy. Is there anyone else who in this offense beyond the obvious names and Edmonds, Tyreek, and Waddle excites you? I, mean, I guess if anyone. No one. All right, well, there we go. <laughs> no, no one. I don't think this is a-, a good football show for today. <laughs> I don't think this is an ancillary pieces type of offense. Like, you know, I think Kendrick Bourne a couple years ago in San Francisco had a couple long plays or whatever. And then, you know, he's kind of done that. He did that last year for the Patriots. Like that's, we'll probably get some of that from Cedric Wilson. I think we're going to see a, a tight end by committee probably. Uh, Giuseppe is a committee type. Cause I mean, he's just a pass first guy. Like he basically needs to be in a committee. He like can't Giuseppe. block. No, he can't block at all. And the tight end blocks in this offense, like they're not. Yeah, but I know one thing about Shanny, he really likes blocking. Like really, <laughs> yeah. really likes blocking to the point where even if he traded up for you as a receiver, he will not play you if you don't block well. So you also, would, we're I, so used to to like single back stuff, right? Like they're gonna run a they use a fullback in this offense, so <laughs> you can't really have a fullback, a blocking tight end, and a guy who's just there to run routes who's you know officially a tight end like because Gasicki's not that dynamic of a receiver he's never been super efficient in yards per hour running he's fine but like it I I think he'll have some of his traditional role but I also think they're and this is a team that has a lot of depth actually at tight end a lot of the depth is all guys who can block yeah, it's all guys who you never ever pay any attention to in fantasy but you are correct that it actually is a very very deep tight end group yeah, so lots of options, lots of competition. So I'm not really touching Mike Jasicki. His ADP is is super weird to me. Um, just it's outside like, the top twelve, but it is weird. He's still like in the top fifteen. And yeah, I I, I wrote this up for uh, the site when talking about uh, Pat Fryermuth, who I'm also completely fading. Like it just gets to a point where I'm just like, are you better than Tyler Higby? And if the answer is not like definitely yes, I'm not drafting you because Tyler Higby's free. Tyler Higby's basically like 14th, 15th round. I'll just wait. And and Everett's right there. You know, I, I like Everett fine too. Fant. Like those guys are all, why would I take, why would I spend the extra capital? And there is some opportunity cost in that range because there's really high upside running backs in that range. Um, so I don't know. I just don't get this to sticky stuff. And then, yeah, there's no other wide receivers that really jump out here. If you think about how this offense is likely to run, they're probably going to be very run heavy. They're going to be, uh, creative with their passing game, probably an efficient passing game. One built around two is accuracy, allowing guys to have yards after the catch with precise throws. But that's what we see from Jimmy G. Jimmy D doesn't have any fantasy value, even when he's supporting no. weapons. It's no. all, you know, he doesn't run, doesn't no. have a ton of big plays. No. So you're getting reception value from the pass catchers and you're getting, you know, guys who are really efficient on the routes that they do run. I think we'll see very, very similar things in Miami this year. This is also an offensive line was horrific last year. Real bad. It, it won't be good this year. I think maybe it will be a little bit better. To they finally them. invested in it like a little bit, the offensive yeah. line. Which is good. You know, I think that'll be really, really nice for Waddle and Tyreek uh, and the running game a bit. But again, nothing, this is not looking like really fertile fantasy territory where we got to, we got to figure out who's the wide receiver three and you know got to get the tight end got to yeah. build stacks Durham Smythe. Yeah. it's more 
Yeah, gotta, smack, gotta stack Durham Smythe. That's what you gotta, gotta do. I bet we I bet we pick up Durham Smythe in uh, our tight end premium yeah. week week seven bunch of what's the big week is week nine the, the big waiver wire the buy apocalypse I can't remember the buy apocalypse yeah but, we'll pick uh, him up Durham Smythe will be out there and we will be out there because this show is over this is a horrible <laughs> transition uh, horrible we'll be, we'll be out of here and just <laughs> exactly I should have said we'll be out of here but we hey, I think it's our longest show in quite quite some time that's because we had so much good stuff from Tom Curran. And Joe Biscalia, again, thank you so much to them for joining us. Really, really good information on two really fascinating teams, the two different perspectives. The Patriots trying to sort out their weapons, reestablish themselves. The Bills trying to stay on top of the AFC East. Just two fascinating teams. And the, the Jets and Dolphins are also fascinating. Um, but we got some really good stuff from Ukraine on them. So uh, thank you for you listening so much. Too, we'll be back tomorrow, actually, with Denny Carter to close out our divisional preview series with the NFC East, where we'll be talking about the Eagles. We'll be talking about the New York Giants. We have some special guests again. Um, so thank you so much for listening today. Thank you again to Joe and Tom. Thank you to Pat. Thank you to you for listening. We'll be back later this week. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.